Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, and a good howdy Saturday afternoon, 1st of February. Harry Alexander and Bunker de France on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Yeah, there we are. We're definitely here. Which ways I think I am. Yeah, you're here. I'm here. And on the phone, we have uh, our guest, Stuart Rosebrook. He's the senior editor at True West Magazine. And we're going to be talking today about John Ford. February 1 uh, is John Ford's birthday. And uh, if he were still alive, he'd be 155. 155. Happy birthday, (laughs) dear John. Stuart, welcome to the program. (laughs) Thank you very much. How's, how are you guys doing today? We're doing wonderful. I'm, I'm hot. It's yeah, warm it's down here. How's it up there? Beautiful weather uh, where we're at. Where are you at? Uh, I'm actually in Iowa City, and we're having a warming trend today. It's actually moving towards 40 degrees, and Ooh. the snow is melting. Oh, you're probably in Bermuda shorts <laughs> and t-shirts. 40 degrees. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> Blasting heat wave. Yeah, it's like 71, 72 here yeah. in Tucson. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so anyway... Are warming it up, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah so, waiting, waiting for the ground chucks to yeah. come out of the ground or whatever they do. So, our topic today is uh, uh, John Ford, and uh, not necessarily all of his westerns, but uh, certainly uh, most of his westerns and a lot of his other movies uh, we're going to talk about. Um, first off, I want to talk about uh, an event that is uh, happening uh, today and tomorrow Ooh, in Los that? Angeles. It's John Ford versus Frank Capra. Steven Spielberg and William Wellman, and it's happening at a place called the Arrow. It would take all five or six of them to, well, to, to come he, up against. He, he, here, here's the here's the rub. The shrewd programmers at the American Cinematique have dreamt up an engaging way to riff off the Oscar-nominated success of Ford v Ferrari by putting together a series called Ford versus. And it's going to pair a John Ford film with a similarly themed work by another director. On January 31st, they did uh, Ford's Young Mr. Lincoln, and they paired that with uh, the equally political Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That's Frank, Frank Capra there. On uh, today, um, they were doing the uh, Searchers. Ford's uh, epic western Searchers, and uh, that's sharing the screen with uh, Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan. Wrong. And on February 2, Ford's socially conscious The Grapes of Wrath screens with William Wellman's The Oxbow Incident. Wrong, wrong. Stuart, what do you think? I think those are some pretty odd mashups right there. Thank it's you. Insane. It's insane. Yeah. I think it's like a bunch, bunch of parlor snobs. Sorry, go ahead. I wouldn't, there's, I don't understand uh, most of those pairings, especially the searchers and say with Private Ryan. Those two no. don't seem to match up. And, and John Ford did plenty of uh, uh, war pictures. He could easily have paired one of his uh, World War II pictures with the... Uh, they were expendable. Yeah. I mean, there's one right well, there. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I get the feeling that what they did was they looked at John Ford and they want to deconstruct him. And so what they did is they went to name directors with with you know very successful pictures and then paired them with pictures that are totally unrelated to each other so that they can you know play fast and furious with the uh, information wouldn't surprise me in the least that's my <clears> thing <throat> well this uh, other place that I, I looked at 
<clears throat> in my research. Um, the, uh, and I think it came from a United Kingdom website. But they're talking about the uh, John Ford 10 Essential Films. And uh, it says that uh, in his 50-year career, he made some 140 feature films, including Oscar winners and some of the greatest Westerns ever made. And here's a rundown of those achievements. Uh, starting in 1924, The Iron Horse. And uh, it says here, having debuted by directing himself as the stunt-writing hero of the Tornado in 1917 and forged a 26-film partnership with cowboy star Harry Carey, uh, John Ford reached Western maturity with his epic account of the building of the Transcontinental Railway. Ford always averred th that progress, uh, honored those who had gone before. And George O'Brien risks all to realize the dream of the father who'd perished in a tribal ambush. But while the awe-inspiring location imagery imposes a sense of epochal uh, uh, spectacle, Ford was essentially a populist, and he's much happier in the company of uh, common folk than historical icons. I haven't seen the Iron Horse, so I, I can't comment on I that. I saw it so many years ago, but it was beautifully shot. Have you seen that? No, I have not. I'd like to. I think it's uh, definitely, uh, you know, that should be a film festival right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To the first decade, you know, Ford's first decade. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then the next one they come up with is called The Informer from 1935. And, uh, That's a favorite of mine. It, yeah. It, it, it's produced, uh, uh, let's see, Ford, uh, fiercely proud of his Irish roots, spent five years trying to persuade RKO to adapt Lame O'Flaherty's tale of a lunkhead, lunkheaded treachery set in the 1920s Dublin, um, scripted by Dudley, Dudley Nichols, Blade with Heartbreaking uh, Vulnerability by Victor McLellan. McLaughlin. McLaughlin, uh, both of whom would win Oscars and become Ford, uh, frequent Ford uh, collaborators. You know, an interesting side piece on that is about they didn't want him, they didn't want to do it. And well, he had time and people and said, let me do it. So they said, oh, okay, because it's not going to cost anything. It's going to be cheap and, and quick. Mm -hmm. Halfway through, they had a change of studio heads, executives. Mm -hmm. And the new executives came in, and they said, oh, no, no, no. And then about two weeks later, they said, well, we've already spent money on it. Let's go ahead and finish the thing. <laughs> I mean, it, typical of, of, of the way the business runs. Are you familiar with that one, Stuart? Well, a little bit. I know that... Um uh, he, there are some people on that film that he worked with in the future. You know, Tony Nichols uh, was with him on that. And um, I think it's one that people can point to. It's probably influential on uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it received a lot of critical praise. And so I think that, uh, while not a Western, it did um, it, it probably look towards stagecoach. He used actors and writers and, you know, building his ensemble uh -huh. team. Creatively, I think the Informer is one of those that is a uh, seminal picture for him that sets up a lot of his creativity going forward. And the next one they say they cite as uh, being a ten, one of the ten essentials uh, of John Ford to view is uh, Stagecoach from 1939, and I think that's one they got right. <laughs> that speaks for <laughs> itself. I think it's it's I uh, I really believe that. Stagecoach um, should be studied by all anyone who studies cinema, and mm -hmm. maybe one of the most influential films in popular culture mm -hmm. um, in the history of film or television. Uh, if you look at, if you point to it, 
especially with the waving saguaro. <laughs> you know, one of the things, because, you know, Harry's focusing on this thing. One of the things I, I was doing, I was focusing on the early days and the early career, and uh, kind of curious on what you were focusing on, Stuart. Well, I, you know, one of the things that I, I find interesting about Fuller when I go back and watch his his pictures and his influence on other directors and the um, the medium of film is um, his use of the camera and location and um, his ensemble cast. And mm -hmm. I, it's like you look at let's say you take the arc from Stagecoach to the man who shot Liberty Valance and. Uh, those two pictures bookend are both ensemble pictures. One's completely filmed on studio lot. One establishes his, uh, the Monument Valley as his go-to iconic location for his westerns. But the uh, story, character, uh, and the, the, the use of the inventive use of the camera, black and white film, you know, later color. And then uh, using also location um, in the West to you know, explores his ideas of honor, loyalty, manhood, and uh, I think a lot of us. Um, Oop, what happened? Where, where did I lose you? I think we lost you, Stuart. No, I'm, what did I do here? Did I okay. do something? I don't know what I did. Well, I'll talk while you're yeah, you doing that. Because yeah. one of the things, interesting things about Stagecoach is about one-sixth of the movie was actually shot in Monument Valley. And of the cast, the only cast member that went up there was uh, Tim Holt. The rest of it was all doubles. They got around the valley quite a bit. They ran into a snowstorm one day, and uh, Ford said, let's use it. And so the, they did. They did. You yeah. know, you just because this is this is one of the things about. I want to wait till Stuart gets here because I want I want to get his viewpoint. He's, He's back. Oh, because one of the things that about Ford is if you look at Ford or you look at his life and his career, he is the story of Hollywood and how it grew and developed. The give you a, just a quick quick idea of how that works. Mother McCree had had the first song, recorded song in a movie, was in Mother McCree, mm -hmm. a silent movie. Mm -hmm. But he did so many firsts, so many things, and uh, he always said that his greatest influence and teacher was first his brother Francis, who he considered the greatest cinematographer he mm -hmm. ever worked mm -hmm. with, mm -hmm. and uh, D.W. Griffith, who he uh, apprenticed under as well. I mean... <laughs> If but you he did, if you apprentice under Griffith, how can you go wrong? <laughs> well, you know, you know, Raoul Walsh, you know, uh, uh, yeah. Eric von Stroheim, yeah, you know, yeah. all, all these guys came out from him. Right. The the, uh, the next movie that uh, comes up on this list is uh, from 1940, The Grapes of Wrath. Obviously not a Western, but still a damn good movie. You know, I, I take exception to that. Do you really? Well, I, because what is it about? It is about the Westward movement 
of the people of Oklahoma to California mm-hmm. during the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we've already established that a Western can be right now today. This is true. So it definitely could be in the Depression. I'll agree with that then. Okay, Stuart, anything to add on that? You know, I, I think that um, uh, you would find uh, literary critics arguing that Steinbeck is, you know, within the Western arc, and and we look at other film directors that follow Ford like, let's say, Sam Peckinpah, mm-hmm. uh, Anthony May, and others who <clears throat> their work would reach from the 19th century into the mid to late 20th century with their investigation of, the you know, the Western, uh, Western land, Western people. And um, I think that uh, Ford, because of when he was born and raised and um, how he had seen the West change in his politics, I think uh, you can put the Grips Wrath in there as, as a modern Western. I really think that uh, um, you guys are familiar with Richard Ed Elaine, yes. uh historian, and yeah. he always talks about, what, you know, how do you define Western literature? I think Grips Wrath, you know, he's a Western author, uh, Steinbeck, so yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, East of Eden. Yeah, that's a, a Western. Right. Yeah. So, Stuart. Stuart, did your did your father ever have any contact with Ford or work with Ford in any capacity? Actually, it's interesting. He was for uh, very early on in his career. He was on um, one of his early contracts was to write for the Virginian at Universal, mm-hmm. and um, John Ford's office was uh, he would John Ford had an office there, and so he went and. Uh, Met with him and uh, talked with him a number, you know, had a bright couple of meetings with him and was just uh, obviously engrossed and <laughs> a huge fan. And um, actually later on attended his funeral and his rosary. Wow. And uh, that's neat. Ford was very influential on my dad's career as a writer, and um, but was also just in awe of of the man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to uh, take a short break here first. Uh, it's that uh, rapidly approaching that time. And um, I'm going to attempt to get uh, Todd Roberts on the phone with us. Uh, he is clamoring to get on. So <laughs> is, he, <laughs> well, is, he, is he beating on the he's, door? He's beating on the door. That's what all the beeps are oh, that you've been okay. hearing. So uh, we're going to do this, and we'll be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West after these messages. cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities
memories that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform. Let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. I thought it was a nice idea to come back on the uh, theme from The Searchers, which With we will talk Indian about. Music. Yeah, we'll talk about a little bit. Dum, dum, dum. We are, uh, this is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Our guest is Stuart Rosebrook, a senior editor at True West Magazine. And on the horn with us also is our other co-host out of Hollywood, Todd Roberts. Hello, Todd. Hello, gentlemen. Good to be with you. Sorry I was late. That's all right. That's all right. You're excused. <laughs> if Pappy was here, you'd be in trouble, though. Yeah. Uh, Stuart, you with us? Uh, how true. Stuart, you with us still? All right. <laughs> you know, I want, I want to do a little quick piece of history on Ford, because I think this is it's his personal life and how he got to be to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. 1914, he applied to Annapolis and was turned down. So he went to Hollywood because he had a job with his right. brother Francis. Right. Now, this is this is a piece of trivia for you guys out there. And this is a question. What famous film featured three director greats in its cast? Name the movie and the three directors. And it's one of them should be easy. All right. Who wants to go first? Is it the Iron Horse? No. <laughs> Stuart? I, 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 I had actually trouble hearing the question. Oh, okay, I'll repeat the question. What famous film featured three directorial greats in its cast? Name the film and the three greats. How the West was one? Nope. I'm stuck, I don't know. Does everybody give up? 
Tell us, a wise one. Uh, okay. <laughs> the film is The Birth of the Nation, uh-huh. and the three directors are John Ford, obviously, Raoul Walsh, mm-hmm. and Eric von Stroheim. Wow. Now, that's trivia, trivia. Interesting. So, Todd, since uh, you weren't with us at the outset there, I'm going to refresh what we we are doing. Uh, it is John Ford's birthday today. He would have been 155. And we're talking about uh, uh, this article here that I found, uh, I believe, on a U.K. website. Uh, basically, the, John, uh, the 10 essential films of John Ford. And we've covered The Iron Horse, The Informer, Stagecoach, and we just finished talking about Grapes of Wrath. The next one coming up from 1946, uh, My Darling Clementine. And um, with this, it says that Ford understood the potency of frontier mythology and left little room for fact in this Norish fantasy on the gunfight at the OK Corral. I hate the language. I know. Using Henry, it's British. What can you say? Uh, Henry, using... Wait a second. Using Henry no. Fonda's principled Wyatt Earp and Victor Mature's Loche Dr. Holliday, it's to, to explore the tensions between the wilderness and civilization. Ford placed more emphasis on communal life in Tombstone than on the seething feud with the Clantons in order to make the contrast between the hoedown and the roofless church and the climactic shootout more striking. Indeed, Ford so refined generic cliché and caricature that Lindsay Anderson declared that if Stagecoach was very good prose, my darling Clementine was poetry. Mm. Thoughts, gentlemen? Community well, and owner. Uh, I, you know, I had many discussions uh, on the air and privately with uh, our fearless leader, who's long departed, Emil Franzi. You know, he always said to me, you know, we, we would talk, it was a while into our relationship until we finally met, got on this film. And I said, I, you know, I, this is a film I like very much. And he went, what? <laughs> uh, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Put the whole, pull the reins back. Hit the brakes. Clear the decks. You know, everybody out of the pool. Um, and I said, I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, Todd, uh, uh, this has nothing to do with the truth. It has, it's, you know, I said, Emil, you're forgetting one simple but very important thing about this film. And for he said what when he was a little he was not indignant, he wasn't sarcastic, but he had a little twinge of it. He said, What's that? <laughs> I said, It's John Ford. He can do whatever he wants. There you go. And and then he said to me, Well if you put it into that context, that's true, but I still hold <laughs> to my original point. I said, I understand you I understand. I understand, but um, when Tombstone came out, which is a film that we all dearly love, um, Almost. my dad uh, saw it and said to me, "Quote unquote, what's why do you have to, what's the purpose of making this film? Why do you, why did you need to make Tombstone? You already have my darling Clementine." And I said, "Dad, it's not historic. It's this. It's that. It's the brothers. You have different names, and they." You know, Virgil is Morgan. Morgan is Virgil. James is a baby, but he's supposed to be the oldest. He's married. I'm confused. And he says, he says, uh, Todd, it's John Ford. Are you forgetting? <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, um, you know, okay, Dad, I, I'm not going to argue with that point. Um, there are some things in this film that are a lot of people find to be... Um, 
perfect, which is number one in shot in, although it's, you know, again, uh, it's not, it's not in Tombstone, it's shot in Monument Valley. That's number one. Number two, um, you're right, all the brothers are switched around. Um, but it, it does have a few things that, that other films don't. Number one, it's the first time we ever see a male masculine star dance. That being Henry Fonda dance with Kathy Downs at the church social. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a very, uh, it's a very poignant moment in film history. We hadn't seen many uh, masculine stars dance until this point. You know, the same year we saw uh, Tyrone Power dance in Zorro, but he dances as a a little Miss Nancy, Miss uh, uh, Little Fancy Fan. Mm -hmm. um, he's not masculine. Um, the other thing I think that's important about this film is, and I think it goes unnoticed, and and I and it's unfortunate, but. Um, Walter Brennan is, is, is maybe, for a guy who could be the greatest character good guy of all time, he definitely makes his mark here, letting us know that he's also the greatest character bad guy mm -hmm. of all time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think it gets overlooked. I, I really do, um, by myself included. Um, mm -hmm. And I also think that this film let it, lets us know truly how great an actor Victor Mature was. Mm -hmm. Because I, he's just, is this is a, I think it's maybe his best film. I and mean, he made a lot of great films. Oh, that's but I you. think that he's very understated in this film. And he's great. And the other reason I love this film is because of the chef at the, uh, the, the French chef um, uh, in the back of the restaurant, at the back of the bar who makes all the food. He's the same French guy who is in Humphrey Bogart's Sahara. Mm -hmm. And I love that character in Sahara, and I love his character here. Stuart! Uh, and I, I think the McClowry brothers, uh, and the, 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 excuse me, the Clanton brothers are just, they're really just beyond subhuman. Stuart. They're, they're just the dregs of the earth. Stuart, I, what you is know, your take? Your take, Stuart? I have to agree with Todd all the way around. I, I think the, uh, there's a couple little things that I think about the film. One is, it's the only Ford Western completely filmed in Monica Valley. He built a town called Fordville for, uh, mm -hmm. and left it. He gave it all to the Navajos. Um, and uh, Ford's relationship with Navajo strengthened a great deal during the making of this movie. Um, I have a friend of mine in Arizona who's uh, retired had a treaty post up there and Ford was known to uh, ask Bob to give he would give him a bunch of money and say I want all you know I want dresses for the girls I want Levi's for the boys um, and so he really had his ensemble cast there in Lyman Valley and um, was able to uh, really establish a relationship with them on, on that set for the whole picture and uh, so it's remarkable from that perspective I also think if you look at his, his use of black and white film, black and white cinematography, uh, Stanley Kubrick had to have studied mm. my darling Clemens, mm -hmm. the cinematographer. Mm -hmm. Yep. Long in low light, in the bar. <clears throat> I'm looking for something new. It's just remarkable. He's at the top of his game with this film and, and all of his actors. He has them all very sharp. And I, I, I think George Stevens probably studied the film when he went to make Shane because I think 
you watch this, the Clan Brothers in this picture is casting a very influential on any film after it that ever tries to capture the herbs of the, or the uh, clan. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Todd, you could have always told Franzi uh, the uh, very simple answer when he started uh, gnawing at you about why you liked the film. You could have just said, like Michael Blake always says, Sometimes it's just entertainment. Yeah. Well, you know, there's an interesting correlation you're, you're, you're touching on, too, which in the Ford pictures, how he fortuitously would use the weather. Yeah. Uh, there's there's the storm in yeah. My Darling Clementine. Yeah. Stage the storm coach. in Young Mr. Lincoln. Stagecoach. The weather in the yeah. uh, Calvary mm-hmm. pictures. Yep, yep. He, <clears throat> he just had this instinct of the moment, how to capture that moment and incorporate it into into his story and technique. And, you know, this is, which is interesting, what we were just been saying about the two shows, is we need to move on to the Ford Stock Company, mm-hmm. because you can't talk about Ford without talking about the stock company. That's a show unto itself. Well, I, I, I totally agree with you, Bunker, I think, but I do at the same time think it's a show unto itself. I'll also say to you guys, and I've said this before, that I've had I had a photography professor, a teacher of photography, who whose students in uh, he teaches in Arizona had never seen the film. An old friend of mine who mm-hmm. loves westerns never seen the film, and I had him. I made him sit down and watch it with me. And twenty minutes into the film, he said, "I, I can't I can't watch it. It's it's too powerful. It's too <laughs> I'm too emotional." I can't, and I, but he meant it seriously. Huh. He was completely. He, he got up. He said, "You got to turn the film off. I got. I'm going to have to watch this film by myself. Wow. I can't watch it. Um, I'm going to have to watch it by myself." And we ended up turning on uh, El Dorado, and then we watched, um, and then we watched uh, 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 Silverado after that. Hmm. But he couldn't. He could. He was too. It was too much for him. He said that the lighting is so dramatic. And it's and 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 uh, Ford is using the lighting and the darkness in such a way that it's almost like the light is a razor which cuts into the darkness. Mm-hmm. It's like he's using a straight razor and he cuts into the darkness because you see often, as Stuart was mentioning, <coughs> the lighting as he uses it. He uses straight angles in the light. There's lots of straight angles. There's yeah. not a lot of glowing light. Right, right. Bar there is, and so on. But in other areas, it's a straight sunlight on a straight angle or light itself. And it, it, Ford, I think, uh, is this is just another example of the master at his work. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about the, uh, the at the top of this article. Um, it starts out by saying. <clears throat> Entertainer Fanny Bryce dismissed swimmer-turned-actor Esther Williams by declaring, wet, she's a star, dry, she ain't. Curiously, contemporary American critics were equally ambivalent about John Ford, as he was only considered an artist when he steered clear of the Old West. The director himself was proud of the bluff epitaph, my name is John Ford, I make westerns. But none of his five Academy Awards was awarded for one. Indeed, the only time, well, according to this, the only time he failed uh, to convert a nomination was for Stagecoach. But even though the various Hollywood genres have since earned critical respectability, the jury is still out on Ford. This is according to this article. Mm -hmm. David Thompson uh, declared him bigoted 
and maudlin, and while even the enthusiastic Robin Wood suggested his masterpieces were happy accidents best blessed by alchemic touch. Orson Welles, though, had no reservations. When asked about his influences, he replied, The Old Masters, by which I mean John Ford, John Ford, and John Ford. Comments, gentlemen? Well, first off... Well, I'm going to say this real quick. The two gentlemen that had comments about John Ford, nobody knows their name. (laughs) So, poo on that, and that's it. I love it. Well, Bunker, thank thank you as always for adding common sense to the discussion, (laughs) number one. Um, But number two, I think just as importantly, is, uh, you know, for well to say that, um, let's also, if, if we're going to start there, let's start there. So there, there's Wells, there's Kurosawa, there, mm-hmm. uh, there's um, uh, uh, Spielberg, uh, there's Truffaut, Griffith. there is Becker, there's Melville, uh, there's Goddard, who are all huge fans of Ford. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Consider him the master. Let's also remember he's the only director in history to win six Academy Awards for Best Director, two uh, for documentaries, and four for film. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he never he never got to, you know, uh, uh, his, shall we say, uh, Western films don't get recognized in the same way they do now, but they didn't then. Um, and I would also, you know, there's 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 a part of Hollywood that likes to, shall I say, diminish, uh, discount, or hide in the closet who they feel is, you know, the club-footed, <laughs> ugly step redheaded stepsister, which is westerns. With freckles. Westerns are are what built Hollywood. Yeah. Western is what built television. Um. And westerns are what built radio. Mm-hmm. Um, you can call it anything you want. And comic books. That the first American mm-hmm. film director, being Thomas Edison, well, he was the first producer, um, the first film he made was The Great Train Robbery. Yep. By no accident that it is that it is deeply, deeply embedded in the man. It's not surface, and you can't kill it with uh, uh, pesticides or vitamins or alcohol or bleach or anything else. <laughs> it's too deep. It's part of our makeup. And the reason it's part of our makeup is because the Western character that we all love is the guy who lives his life in such a way that um, he lives each day so that he can look any damn man straight in the eye and tell him to go to hell with unequivocal justification. Mm-hmm. And that's why we love him. And that's why we love Ford. Now, I would say also that Ford's, this this opinion of Ford and his Westerns or the diminishment of them or discounting of them also is Ford's fault. Because when interviewed, you know, um, just go watch the Stephen, the, the um, oh God, uh, Peter Bogdanovich said, uh, mm-hmm. a, a uh, documentary that he made for the Life Achievement Award, and he, he has, he's he's doing interviews uh, with him, and he also takes other interviews of people, and they'll sit there and ask for these in-depth questions about, you know, is uh, 
in, in this film or that film or this scene or that or this character and what did you mean here and this line and so on and he'd answer with things like what the hell are you talking about and he'd burn his mouth and puff away or you know he, he his other favorite answer is could you repeat the question I'm a little hard of hearing yeah. you know and the guy would repeat the question and then he and then he'd change subject in the middle of the question you tell a story so he didn't answer any of these questions to give credence to the the true artistic beauty of these films, but that goes for all of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only film he really liked to talk about was um, uh, they were expendable because he took such pride of being in the Navy. Good. Stuart, what do you and think? The other film which was that. I've got a question for Stuart. Wings of Eagles. Stuart, I've got a question for you, and it has to do okay. it has to do with the Ford Stock Company. There was a, a gentleman by the name of Edward Kingfisher Jones, and he was also called Partner Jones, that worked on all of the early Ford westerns, and his specialty was he was a marksman. He had been a law officer in Tombstone uh, during the Earp era, and he made his living for over 30 years shooting live ammunition at actors and livestock. And his story, I just I, I came across him in this, his life and his story I think would make a fascinating article for True West. And hopefully uh, uh, this is just enough uh worm on the hook to get you interested because this guy, his story is unbelievable. But anyhow, it like it. pardon? He said it sounds like. I know that like, you know like, you read some about Tom Mix's films and he would have people using live live ammunition and you hear about Sam Peckinpah throwing live rattlesnakes in uh, you know in sand pits with uh, you know during the making of uh, Cable Hogue, but uh, I think it's pretty interesting uh, an interesting story that you know those ties to those early decades of westerns that, which you know what men and women were working on those influencing the writing the the uh, Connecting as um, counsel to the filmmakers, I think that earlier question is very interesting because the more you study um, the uh, lawlessness uh, of the frontier West, uh, that uh, a lot of these stories are closer to truth than they are fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the things. That, well, oh, speaking of that, I'd love to ask you, Stuart, um, and no disrespect to you in any way. We always <laughs> love to have you on the show because of your comments, but. I'd love to know what your dad's take was on John Ford. Well, it's interesting. I, I, I was, he was a huge Ford fan. And um, I actually pulled up some of, of um, my Ford books for this show. And um, one of them had some of my dad's handwritten notes in it. And uh, one of them, uh, he writes, very important. And he highlights this paragraph about the making of Ford Apache. And it really much, it says a lot about my dad's writing, and I, I used to ask, I asked my dad once, I said, well, you know, where do you start with your writing? And he said, it, it starts with character. And there's a story in here uh, in which, um, that would confirm with my dad's interest in, in forward and character and how you build your film around character, whether it's the individual or an ensemble. But um, Frank Nugent was interviewed, and he said, when Ford hired him to do 
um, to write for him, to write for Apache, he gave him a list of 50 books to read, and um, he uh, he made him do something that he had never occurred to him before. Ford had Nugent create 50 backstories, backstories for every single character wow. before he started the strip. Wow. And um, <clears throat> I know that uh, my dad was a diligent researcher um, to get to the character. And I think it echoes what you were saying, uh, Todd, that one of the things that draws us to Ford is the strength of his characters that we're drawn to, we want to emulate, um, and we're, uh, you know, they're, you know, these are uh, men who are conflicted but have a value system that uh, Ford tried to honor picture after picture, and we're, we're drawn to that kind of honor of the, that code of the West. Okay, guys, we got to take another break here, so stand, stand by. We've got to, uh, we're way past this uh, bottom of the hour break here. So we're going to do that and be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We're talking about uh, John Ford. It's his birthday today. Our guests uh, are, uh, well, our guest is Stuart Lake. Todd Roberts is on the phone from Hollywood. Bunker de France in the studio here with me, and I'm Harry Alexander. We'll be right back. management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. 
Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseandaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubbs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. Hey, this is Robert Fuller, uh, Jess Harper from Laramie, and we're listening to the Voices of the West. This is the Voices of the West. Well, John Ford did not produce uh, or direct uh, The High Chaparral, but probably wished he had. I'm I sure. think he was up his alley, though. <laughs> We're talking about the films of John Ford on his birthday, February 1. He would have been 155 today. And uh, during the break, we were... A young 155. Young 155. Um, we were talking about the fact that um, lots of people considered Ford to be bigoted. In fact, in at the top of the show, one of the descriptions I read was that he was a very bigoted person. Todd, you wanted to address that. Well, I just, first of all, you know, it, it doesn't take a genius to see that it's completely a false statement. Um, it takes very little footwork or, or whatever research to see that it's completely um, uh, false. Uh, the first thing I'll point to is, yes, you know, he used to joke on set that, you know, he killed more Indians than Custer in his films, you know, comparatively. But more importantly, and I think it's not what you say, it's what you do, right. is the fact that he employed more American Indians than any other director before or since, mm-hmm. period. End of story. There's no one that could even Good come point. close. You know, if somebody... Regardless, and let's include William S. Hart in that, yeah. who insisted that real American Indians are in his films playing American Indians. And Tim McCoy. Yeah. With uh, bronze body makeup. I get so sick and tired. I get so sick and tired of hearing about this person is bigoted, that person is bigoted, uh, they're racist yeah. because of particular actions. And so uh, that's enough of that noise. Well, let's let's well, let, you know, that's yeah. a- and the other thing is is that um, you know Quentin Tarantino pointed out um, last year or the year before he talked about well, you know, I'm not a bigot, but John Ford was a bigot, and he's a racist. Look how indiscriminately, how 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 many uh, hundreds or dozens or whatever the number is of indiscriminately faceless uh, uh, Indians he killed. Uh, you know, just on and on and on and on. I saw that right there. And I and I look up and I go, excuse me. Uh, you made a film called Kill Bill 1, <laughs> where you killed 88 Japanese people in one scene. Yeah. <laughs> they were known as the Lucky 88s. Yeah. They are the small army of uh, a Bushido army protection, Praetorian guard that runs around following Lucy Liu everywhere she goes. Yeah. Beyond I- her inner circle. So it, it, it's so typical of a hypocrite to call somebody else. Well, that's well, a, that's what uh, they do. A racist. Yeah. Ford. Yeah. But also, 
Uh, let's also say, and let's just play it, put it out there, um, no one, uh, maybe once in maybe King Rat or something, with George Siegel, did we see a black man portrayed as a man, mm. a real man? And we see that in Sergeant Rutledge, where we've discussed this film at length, all of us on the show. We all know that he's guilty. He's definitely guilty. Who else could have done it? Everything points to him, on and on and on and on. And then in the end, he's not only not guilty, but he is truly the most noble man in the film. Mm -hmm. He does the same thing again in Two Road Together. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is that Ford and, is and a reflection of his Bobby time. He's a very admirable character. Yeah. But Ford is a reflection of his time, just like each and every one of us is, is a, a reflection, reflection of, of our, what, time. our culture and our time. Yeah. Hey, guys, before we get into Fort Apache, and I don't want to run out of time, I do want to get my, because these people pay for to be on here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I yeah. want to get another commercial break in here, our very last one. Then we'll get into uh, Fort Apache and uh, some of the other John Ford films right after these important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911 Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. B.O.W. Radio When it's roundup time in Texas and the bloom is 
Yes, roundup time in Texas. Jimmy Wakely Trio bringing us back on Emil Francie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander in Bunker de France. Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. And in Iowa, it is uh, Stuart Rosebrook from uh, True West Magazine. 33 degree Iowa. My goodness, this show reach this show reaches all over the doggone place, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, we're like an octopus. All right, Fort, Ap- Fort Apache, nineteen forty-eight. Uh, according to this article, it said needing a hit after the failure of the fugitive in forty-seven, Ford viewed this take on James Warner Bella's story massacre as a pot boiler. However, it would form part of the celebrated cavalry trilogy with she wore a yellow ribbon and Rio Grande, which combined bluff humor, folksy sentimentality, and rugged action to convey the hardships endured by serving soldiers and their families. So there we are. What a Fort Apache, a favorite movie of mine. Well, I'm going to throw one thing out here real quick, and this is more aimed at Todd than anybody else, but one of the great scenes in Fort Apache is the Grand March, and Ford had a comment on that. He says, they're all folk dances, and they're part of the story. I like folk dances. They're very amusing, and the cowboys do them very well. Down in Arizona, the Mormons are beautiful square dancers, so we only had to put on a dance, and they'd pitch right in and do it wonderfully. And I think uh, in Fort Apache, that Grand March is one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would completely agree. Okay. Uh, qu- Ford was able to segue in his westerns, especially these three. Uh, they're like his, you know, he was a uh, uh, loved his Shakespeare, and I mean that's his way of bringing breaking the action. He brought humor, and he brought that. But I don't even call it Shakespeare that Joycean day to day life into his films, and uh, just like Todd was talking about the dance, dancing the frontier dancing in My Darling Clementine. I think that's little joys that breaks up the, the drama of Ford's westerns that, that you know, was part of his auteurship. Here's our next it's also, kind of, it, it's also a spot where he gets to interject, shall we say, some um, some civility and mm. some some uh, um, some culture out here on the in the middle of the rugged west and the desert that is so unforgiving and unwelcoming of of people who are different or foreigners. And I think that they also get into that regalness of dance in, um, in, in, uh, um, in, in, uh, she wore a yellow ribbon, mm-hmm. um, or even in the scene where, um, <clears throat> uh, Harry Carey was, is going to take, uh, her miles on the picnic as John, as John Wayne's character says, you're going picnicking, Mr. Pennell? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. you know, calling, and what he's doing is he's calling into question. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you serious? <laughs> All right. Our next, there's our, there's a hundred uh, 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 savages out there right? <laughs> Right. Yeah. And you're going to go picnicking. <laughs> our next, Where is your head? Our next movie, The Quiet Man from 1952, nostalgia tinged towards post-war output and was never more uh, unrepentantly apparent than in this ad- adaptation of a Maurice Walsh story that Ford had been trying to make since acquiring the rights for 10 bucks in 1936. 
Eventually, the Poverty Row Studio Republic stumped up <clears throat> a meager budget, and even though uh, Innisfree was as authentic as Brigadoon, Ford insisted on shooting in Ireland. His perseverance paid dividends through uh, during the rousing Donnybrook between John Wayne and Victor McLaughlin. Moreover, Wynton Hawk won the Oscar for his verdant technicolor photography. But what is more noteworthy here, in, according to this article, is Maureen O'Hara's feisty Colleen Mary Kate, that's whose sure independence and, sure. sens- and sensuality stand in stark contrast to Ford's usually coy female ciphers. And it's one of the great Whoa. fights of all time. It is. Okay. We got to move on, guys. Mr. Roberts, 1955. It was a documentary short uh, that was uh, his fourth, uh, Ford's fourth Oscar. Um, he, uh, that he won. I thought it was, a, I, I enjoyed that movie, Mr. Roberts. Watch it whenever I can. Um, Jack Lemon. Searchers, 1956. What do we say about that except that it's a damn good movie? My favorite. And uh, oh, a hell of a lot of people's favorite. I think it's way beyond that. I think it's. I truly think it is Ford's Elvis. Yeah, I think it's one think of the greatest movies. Great, of his greatest time. film. He he stretched Wayne far far beyond anything he had ever done before, and honestly, anything he ever did after. Yeah. Um, and you can see it on a big screen. You have to see it yeah. on a big screen. Yes, That's yes. Seen, I films we've seen in our lifetime. We see him on a small screen. He, his Ford's films were made for the biggest possible. No iPhones. Yeah. Only to exemplify that point, Stuart, is every time I walk into a Walmart or a Costco or any TV store and they have a new, the newest big screen out there, I don't know if you knew, gentlemen, but there is now a 70-inch there's the wall, that's the bigger than my apartment. <laughs> There's a 90 inch out there too. I think uh, with some yeah. sort of new, uh, new fangled technology. Yeah, uh, I could do that when it's rising. Doors and I look at that thing and yeah. I say to myself, "There's only one film. There's only one film every time." And I'm talking about all the way back to when the 32 inch was the King Kong on the block. Till now, I always say to myself. Man, what would the searchers look like on this? You know, I I, and I, I always ask myself that question. I, I, and that's, the, that's the test. I live in a re- recreational vehicle that is thirty-five feet in length and maybe fourteen, fifteen feet across. And my television uh, space is very small. Um, so when I had went to go buy a new television, I could not find anything f- smaller than thirty inches. I can't fit a thirty-inch uh, screen sideways in, in, into into my trailer. <laughs> I mean, it's just that dog don't hunt. Harry, the, the answer is well, then, you put no, it outside and you watch Harry, it like a drive-in are, theater. Yeah. Nineteen twenty-two and twenty-four. Oh, I, I found one. I eventually found one. Guys, we are time uh, plumb out of time. Um, I wish we had more to. We could uh, talk about the last movie that we wanted to talk about was the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Another fine movie, I think. Um, but we are out of time. Well, my favorite. And uh, I don't want to be argumentative, but I take issue with the person who wrote the article. Yeah, I do too. Not to include. Uh, How Green Was My Valley. I know. I mentioned that earlier. I still cannot watch without crying. Yeah. And I would also say that The Fugitive, which I just watched again about a month ago for the first time in many years, um, might be, um, for me, and I can only speak for myself, I think Ford's other opus. Yeah. His, His majestic use of light 
and um, symbolism in the, with the light and other symbols is so powerful. Uh, you notice there's not as much dialogue in the film. Right. And Pedro Amendias, I have to say, uh, should have been nominated for, for, for best for best actor or best supporting actor. His, his evil uh, commandant, lieutenant, colonel, whatever he is, is truly tour de force. It's on a level of I can't even remember. And his Will Roger films. Okay, guys, we that hit, that we got to end it here. Uh, Stuart, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you again, Stuart. Appreciate 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 very much, Todd. Thank you so much uh, as well, Bunker. Thank you, Howard. thank you, Harry. Thank you, you Bunker. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, thank you, everybody. Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. All right, and that'll do it. So long. Adios. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.